Thanks for engaging with the Open Life Talks, whether you're on the Open Life Church app or you're listening through iTunes. You know, we know that life can be overwhelming, but we've found that true life and peace of mind can come from a growing relationship with Jesus. So thanks for taking the time to listen or watch today's talk. You know, this is part of our James Summer Series, and so we are walking through the book of James verse by verse. We also have some additional resources that we want to put in your hands. Go to any app store, download the Open Life Church app, then from the front, front page, make sure you click on the button open daily. And we have some cool daily devotionals that we want you to read along according to each week that you're listening to or part of. So we encourage you to do that. Here is today's talk. Well, let's jump right into it. As he said, we're in James 2, 1 through 13, and it is titled in the New Living Translation, A Warning Against Prejudice. Fitting subject in our world today, right? It says, my dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor, well, doesn't this discriminate? show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who press you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin. <laughs> I think he's just trying to be really clear there, right? You're committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. Verse 10 says this, For the person who keeps all the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you've still broken the law. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Well, I think James was trying to make his point incredibly clear in the context of these 13 verses. He keeps with his theme so far in James, and that is that we have faith in Christ, right? And with that faith, we have an opportunity to do good. Remember, it says in James 1.22, don't just listen to God's word. Do what it says, otherwise you're only fooling, fooling yourselves, right? We need to do what the word is challenging us to do. We have an opportunity. And something unique here is James spends 13 verses really in a singular mindset. 
oftentimes he'll introduce a few things in the course of his dialogues, but really he's honed in on favoritism and prejudice and judgment for the entire 13 passages and makes a solution to that in the form of mercy. Now, an important thing before we really dig into some thoughts today uh, to grab is a reminder of James' audience. James is writing to believers. And specifically here, he is writing to the church and in the context of a church. Why is that important to note? Because I think when we read this, especially in our world today, we immediately think of our government and the racial discrimination happening and the atrocities that happen even globally. And we start to think about governments instead of about our faith in the church. The specific issue being dealt with here are new guests in a church and how they're being treated. How do we know that he's not addressing government? Well, in James' day, uh, they were under the Roman Empire. You know, they're under Roman rule. They're very oppressed. They're a subculture, Christianity. They're a new faith that is, is growing aggressively, but yet very oppressed. And they are by far not mainstream culture, nor is the, the rule of the day. Like, they're, they're not influencing the laws of the land yet because they have not become a majority. And so you have this issue of micro mindset or like micro decisions and macro decisions, if you would, and this micro decision of how I'm gonna live personally and how we're gonna behave as a church. And then you have in the world macro decisions, these bigger choices like that laws impact. And, and we deal with the same thing today, right? Like how will our faith actually impact the world around us? Uh, only if we share Jesus enough that we become a majority influencing culture will we be able to see laws change to what we read as morality and scripture. Some would call that revival, right? If we see God move in such a way in our land that laws begin to be shaped by the text of scripture. In essence, James is not being political. He's being personal. And we need to read it in that context because if we try to push these laws on people before we share Jesus with people, we'll deal with some of the same issues as James dealt with. His life was ended by stoning. And some of these challenging passages like this probably led to that because he was challenging not only the law of the land, but the religious people of his day, and that's the people who stoned him. <laughs> so it's not easy to say, man, you gotta treat that family the same as that family, the same as that individual, the same as that person. When I walked into McDonald's a couple weeks ago, and a gentleman named Stephen, as I met, I introduced myself and his name, and he was asking for food on the way into McDonald's. And I was like, I was like, uh, he said, man, can I have a sandwich or something? I was like, yeah, man, we're, we're here for breakfast. What do you want? And so got him some breakfast and, and sat down with him and introduced myself to him. And, and, uh, and you just go, How, if I'm buying my kids a sandwich, I could totally buy this guy a sandwich, right? Why should I treat 
him different just because he's homeless and sitting on a sidewalk? Why should I treat him different than I'm going to treat my own kids? That kind of behavior is challenging. Because we have natural tendencies and prejudices and judgments that, and safety meters and fear and these things that well up inside of us that make us do things that we know, well, James makes clear, are sin and not Christ-like. And so we have to remember, James is communicating to believers, challenging the practices of believers in the context of a church gathering. But yet we can take those principles and we can live those out in our community, in our jobs, in our workplace, and see what happens when there's a people who show no partiality living in a community. It can be powerful. It should challenge us as a church. And the context should challenge us as when we have guests that walk in, when we have guests that make their way to church, how are we loving on them, serving them, allowing them to experience life to the full and accomplish this thing that we're all searching after, peace of mind in a world that's totally overwhelming. Our big idea today is mercy triumphs over judgment. The worship team's going to close with a song today that has that lyric in it, and it's funny because it's a, a brand new song from a group called Hillsong Young and Free, and uh, in hearing the lyric, I was like, oh my word, that's totally James too. What a perfect song to, to close out today with. It's a song called Heart of God. And that's why I see James land this passage saying, man, to the mercy we extend, we'll receive, right? This mercy is the only thing that's going to get us past this tendency we have to snap judge and be quick to assume who someone is, where they're from, how they behave, what we need to be concerned about. And we need to take on the heart of God today and love everyone equally. That's what we have the opportunity to do. James writes that mercy is the solution to favoritism, prejudice, and judgments. And if we put that action of mercy into practice, we can change the world. And this isn't something new. This is not a new issue. Because if you open up your Bible all the way back towards the beginning, you can read passages like Leviticus 19.15. It says this, do not twist judgment in or justice in legal matters by favoring the poor or being partial to the rich and powerful. Always judge people fairly. So there was also things happening in, in the beginning of time, right? Of judgments that were happening that would favor either the poor or the wealthy or we need to process through the lens of, wow, like I can't, I can't do that. God wants us to have his response, to refuse to let there be an outcast among us. I think that's particularly challenging and, and evident for students, right? At schools, who's sitting alone at a table by themselves, off to the edge? The stories you hear of students making a difference in the world because they go and get outside of themselves in their normal social circles and bringing someone else in. Maybe it's during a lunch or during a time when 
when it be easy to be identified as an outcast and not letting people be outcast. Same as homeless, you know, homelessness. And, and that's why I made sure to know the gentleman's name that was asking for food at McDonald's because the homeless feel invisible. But one of the most important things you can do is learn somebody's name that's homeless and be able to, to say hi to them by name. I saw Stephen walking today as I was dropping one of the A-boards for service today. And just to be able to say, hey, there's Stephen. Be able to say hi to Stephen. I don't know. It's a challenge that we can love people the same as we love it when we hear our own name. Somebody all of a sudden doesn't feel invisible within culture. That's an important, important thing that we can do. God is for you. God is for us. And God is for everyone. And we hit on that at the beginning of the year hard. You can go back and listen to those those talks, but this is getting right back into it, isn't it? It's getting right back into the fact that God is for everybody always. And so we have to always judge people fairly, as that Leviticus passage reiterates, really, James is reiterating the Levitical passage. So this is not an easy practice to see every person for whom they were created and as they were created and not as we want to label them or as we feel comfortable in giving them value or their importance or their rights. And so we have challenges like this that really press against maybe our, our own weaknesses. First uh, Timothy 5.21 says it this way, I solemnly command you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus and the highest angels to obey these instructions without taking sides and showing favoritism to anyone. So we have this Bible that's challenging us to show zero favoritism. And I don't know about you, but that's not easy to walk out. It's not easy. It's a constant tension we get to live in. Is we get to love everyone. We get to serve everyone. And if, if we do, if judgment, which leads to favoritism, can lead us to live a small-minded life and we avoid that becoming small-mindedness, if we're a church that practices prejudice and small-mindedness, and we'll be a small-minded church and a small church because we'll offend everyone and we'll turn people away. But if we can lay aside judgment and prejudice and open our arms and love everybody and serve everybody, something powerful will happen in and through our faith. That's what James is trying to encourage us to do. So we must choose our path. Are we going to live as those who are the judgment of the world and prejudice and we're just going to say I'm going to stay safe so I'm going to surround my people uh, myself with people who dress like me look like me are as clean as me are speaking my language are from my origin are you know all these things that are are, are just all about me and safety or am I going to take this adventure called the faith take on the character of God love everybody and actually be cultured and see the world for what it is. It's full of people created in the likeness and image of God. We see their heart. We see them as a person. So some thoughts that will help us get there and some thoughts that we're being challenged to here in James. And the first one is what's familiar informs what we favor. Think about our upbringing, right? I think we, have, we all have some unlearning to do. 
especially as adults. We've trained ourselves in certain ways or been trained in certain ways. So for those who grew up poor, so I'm one of those, I fell through the floor in our living room in our single wide trailer on a farm where we got our water from a stream about a mile away that we dug the ditch for and piped in. And during the summer when it got hot and the stream got low on water, we didn't have water. That's just kind of how I grew up. Walked uphill both ways to school with no shoes. I'm just kidding. Not that bad. But the truth is true about the water and the single wide trailer. Lived on a farm, exchanged goods. I remember my dad saying our average annual income was $6,000. Like that's all the money we had. We went holidays with no gifts. I remember crying because we had no gifts at Christmas. And uh, going through those times, it like makes a mark on you, right? It teaches you things and helps you appreciate what you have, but then the opposite can happen. Like we could be so determined that our family doesn't experience some of those same things that then we spoil the snot out of them, right? And they don't have anything tough to deal with. And then it's like they can become so sheltered from all those same things that really gave us these amazing scars and cultures and determination and work ethic, we can rob our kids of that, and then you have this, this generation that can grow up that just doesn't know need or know want, and they don't understand, like, the tensions that you deal with there, and then they are standoffish to those with need, not knowing that was exactly where their parents came from. Or, you, uh, the opposite is true, you could be so, and that's what the Leviticus passage really was addressing in Leviticus 19 there, is you were poor, so you favor the poor because you understand their pain points. And so now you're making decisions, actually favoring their needs over the needs of those who are not in want. And it's interesting. I love how Jaden prayed today, and not that I was judging his prayer, but I was listening to it. And he prayed for those who had needs and needed healing and were in a season of need. But he also prayed for those that were living in blessing and you're like at a high point. You know, some people have listed their house and not got an offer. Others listed their house and got the, uh, an offer for more than they wanted. And, this, you know, there's, there's all kinds of scenarios here. You, you, some people are looking for a job. Others got a promotion. And it's like, we need to celebrate with those who are celebrating and mourn with those who are mourning. And everybody is alike sitting next to each other. We've all got stories happening right now and needs right now and blessings right now. And it makes us, we're, what we're familiar with shapes who we're favoring. And we could be telling stories and it's like, I got a promotion at work and, and oh, I got a promotion and you're really happy and there's a standing right next to a guy who didn't get a promotion. Now, if you treat the guy who didn't get a promotion awkwardly, that's favoritism, right? It just, especially in the context of church, which James is hitting on. I remember the time we had people over. We invited everybody over for a... Uh, uh, a football playoff game or something back when the Seahawks were good. And um, when they had a defense, <laughs> Legion of Boomage. 
Those were the good days. Let's just remember that. No. Uh, so they, they uh, we had a bunch of people over and, and I remember, you know, it was just an open invite. I think we just threw it out on Facebook or whatever. And, and it was a mixed crowd that showed up for the game. And, and, and in the ensuing days, I remember lice being, was introduced to our home during the course of that day. That was awesome. And, uh, and I remember us dialoguing about, you know, I'm, I think we know how the lice got here, you know. And then feeling like, man, that's mean. Like the next time a football game was there and we wanted to invite everybody thinking, oh, well, let's not invite them. That's favoritism. As awkward as that is, we have to love everybody. We can't just like segment out people and go, well, that's, that's harder. Like it's harder to invite them, so let's just leave them off the invite. I think we all feel that. We all feel it. We feel it in our own families. We feel it in our church. We feel it in our neighborhood. It's a tension we all deal with. And this is where the innocence of a child is such a beautiful example. Uh, We even witnessed it last night. Kids do not feel fear towards outsiders, especially outgoing personality kids. Our daughter, youngest daughter, uh, is out on the dance floor cutting it up last night at John Jessica's wedding, dancing to any oldie that was being played that I haven't heard since the 80s. And uh, they were just out there, you know, dancing around and having fun. Next thing you know, she's dancing with a total stranger, male, older guy on the dance floor. And you're just going, okay, you know, we're going to keep an eye on this girl the rest of our lives because she just has no filter. There's, she's so innocent and just is dancing. And you're going, she doesn't know this person. She's dan- dancing do do with some adult male out there. You know, and you're just going, but that's okay. We're here. We're watching it. But if we can have that same passion and zeal for everyone in our community, what good can come out of that? You know what I'm saying? Such a beautiful thing can come out of that. And children don't have those barriers. Well, we need to unlearn some of those barriers we've built up because we need to learn how to look into people's eyes and see them as a created person in a likeness and image of God and not as someone who maybe doesn't dress like us, maybe doesn't drive the same kind of car we drive, right? Maybe James wanted us to have more fun in church because Jaden was having fun on the dance floor yesterday. <laughs> I love that girl. She could just have fun in every scenario of life. She brings the party, right? And so you look at that and you watch that and we need to unlearn our familiarities so that we can love everyone. First Peter 1.17 says, remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do, so you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. Right? We're all temporary residents here for a moment and gone. So we have to unlearn some of those things we picked up as kids. We have to unlearn some of those things that have led us to being favorites towards one crowd and and than loving the next crowd and uh, wholly live without prejudice. Shouldn't have to dress a certain way to come to church. 
You shouldn't have to wear a certain brand to show up to church. You shouldn't have to drive a certain kind of car to make it to church or drive a car at all, right? You shouldn't have to live in a certain community to come to church. Uh, everyone's welcome anywhere, any way. No perfect people allowed. That's the challenge James is giving. Thought two. Right in the middle of this, he just hits on sin is sin. Right? If we're showing favoritism, we sin. That's what, But if you show, if you favor some people over others, you're committing sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all the laws except one is guilty as the person who broke all of God's laws. He's addressing this fact that, hey, here's a lie we all buy as followers of Jesus. Again, addressing believers, those who have put their faith in Jesus. As those who have put their faith in Jesus, we buy a lie that our sin is somehow not as bad as the guy sitting next to us. (laughs) You know, I might judge people but I'm not living in adultery. You know, I might show favoritism and only invite a certain class of people over to my house from church, to my group, because I want them to be clean and, and, and simple and easy and, and not have any issues in their life. I, you know, we're the group of healthy people. We don't want to be... I've actually been... I've had this conversation with a church person before, not here at Open Life, but when I worked at a Christian bookstore... And the Bible guy was telling me about his church uh, that sold Bibles. And he was saying, yeah, we don't, involve, we don't allow guests at our church. I was like, how do you do that? How do you know that? And he's like, well, unless you grew up in the families that attend. Because otherwise, they're like, you know, we're, we're, we're set apart. And we don't want anybody to make us impure. Okay. Like, how is that, though? Like, the same script, like, the Jesus who came to seek and save the lost who like met new people all the time in the Gospels, so you don't like no new people? No new people. No, if they show up, we just, we, we turn them away. <laughs> How do you do that? This is a real, this is a real issue. It's been an issue since day one. We have this tendency to want to not be infiltrated or impure, you know, that people would make us impure. But scripture is telling us this is a lie. And we all do it. We all buy this that, oh, well, prejudice isn't as bad as murder. But it is. This is all sin. Sin is sin. This applies to the rest of your life as well. Are you accepting this lie that, that one thing is wrong and another isn't? Are you upset that your spouse went on a, a one-on-one business outing with somebody of the opposite sex, but yet you watched a movie or read a book that stirred up emotions for you for somebody of the opposite sex, and you think their sin is worse than your sin. Are you mad that, uh, is this getting too real? Do I need to be more vague? Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to make anybody. Uh, you know, do you think that it's okay to have a foul mouth and it's not okay that your neighbor drinks too much? Just, just a question. I think re-engage is a great environment to deal with these things inside your marriage. I love re-engage for this reason, and anybody who's married should go through it. Uh, 
It's powerful that it allows you to get to a point where you're comfortable with your spouse confessing your sins and admitting them, your weaknesses, and, and embracing the mercy and grace that comes from God. And I think all of us need to get to a point where we can do that with each other as well. But first and foremost, man, we need to do that with our spouse, our families, to be able to say, you know, I messed up. That was wrong. I want to admit that that was not right for me to do. And will you forgive me for that? When you can get to that type of responsibility, dealing with the person in the circle instead of always pointing the finger, as we talked about in the past series, if I can be 100% responsible for my 2% of an issue, then it'll allow the person who's responsible for the 98% to admit their faults as well. That's how you become a peacemaker. Oneness comes from grasping that sin is sin and being available and open in a marriage to share that, but it's what allows unity in a church as well is when we don't think, well, I can have this little sin. It's not as bad as theirs. So James really just gives this gut punch in the middle of the text, allowing us to not elevate ourselves and enter this life of sin by doing so, thinking, man, I am God's favorite, and that person's not dressed good enough to sit, so they have to stand on the side, right? Thought three, before it gets too tense. Mercy is messy. It's messy. And I remember people telling me, when you start a church, you're going to get all kinds of people. Starting a church is messy. Loving everybody is messy. And I was like, good, because I'm ready for that. I'm tired of pretending to not be messy. I'm tired of pretending, you know, going to, to churches and, and you looking like you have it all together, even though you were screaming in the car on your way in. You know, it's like, stop it, stop it. You don't hate your brother. You don't hate your sister. Stop it. You shut up. Hi. Good. Everything's awesome. Glad to be here. You know, it's just like, I don't know where the country accent came from when we entered, but so nice to be here in Bonnie Lake, Washington, you know. I think that uh, I love the line that Lisa writes. You'll read if you're walking through the, the Open Life Daily Devotions this week. Uh, Lisa Schultz uh, wrote another great one and says in her entry, God's will is for us to show mercy to everyone all the time. How can I do that? Put on God's glasses. Right? Have his vision. And then here's the line. Walk into an ugly situation with love. Yes. It's exactly what mercy is. Messy. We walk into ugly situations. And, and I love that in Scripture we see examples of this. Jesus was all about seeking and saving the lost and loving your neighbor as yourself. And church should be messy. Church should be a messy place, a hospital, if you will. A triage where we're concerned whether we have enough beds. And we should be going after those type of needs. A collection of imperfect people that are in process and giving each other the grace to move forward. Luke 10 says it this way in a 
in a segment called that you'd be familiar with as the Good Samaritan Passage. It says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked, who's my neighbor? And this is where we get into the messy parable. It says this, Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over, looked at him, at least he saw him, right, lying there, and then he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil, and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If this bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, go and do the same. Now, this was a slap in the face. You know what Jesus was addressing here are some people who were pretty opposed to each other. Jews and Samaritans did not like each other. They were basically rival stepchildren that were mad at one another. Put it this way, modern day story in this in this situation, it would be like a far-right Republican and a far-left liberal, and somebody beat them up on the United States-Mexico border, right? That's what's happening right here. And there's like, I'm not loving them. You gonna love them? I'm not gonna love them. And he's like, what happens when they love each other and it's a messy situation, and the very person you don't like is the one who's loving? And you'd be like, whoa. I guess it was the person who loved, right? And you, whatever side you're on, you'd be going, shoot, I have to humble myself and answer this question to Jesus. In this scenario, it's messy. The guy's been beat up. He needs to be soothed. He needs to be bandaged. That is messy. He's going to get his donkey, his saddle all bloodied, but he puts him on his own donkey anyway. He's going to get an inn all messy, and he's going to have to get a room, and it's financially messy to care for this person and draining his resources, but he does it anyway, even though he knows he's despised by the person. That kind of tension is what we're dealing with when we love everyone. And that's why we hand out books like Love Does. And if you've yet to read Bob Goff's new book, Everybody always. They talk about this kind of love because this is the kind of love we need to have for one another, for sure in church. But what if we show this kind of love outside of church? Our action thought is simple today. Show mercy to everyone. 
Mercy is messy, and we need to show it to everyone. Not only here. Primarily here, that's what James is talking about. But when we go out. So I want to tell you a story that illustrates this. We were youth pastors for 13 years before we started Open Life here. You know, we were in Spokane, um, Washington, had a, a large youth ministry there. We would travel around doing missions, trips inside the country, and we would go to events like Fine Arts Festival where students would compete in areas of uh, drama and, and preaching and teaching and some different things. And one of the cultures that began to be practiced within our youth ministry is you would watch like the most outcast kid in school like became normal like he was friends with the most popular people when he walked through the doors of church and like it just became a normal culture there was not like somebody that was in an unpopular group within the youth ministry and a popular group like they were all together and you would go places and you would go, man, it just doesn't make sense that like your friend with them and their friends with you and you could tell you're from different worlds and, and they're from different worlds. And I remember visiting them at school and you go to one school and one's the jock and the most popular kid. You go to this other kid's school, their friends at church, go to the other kid's school and he's talking about how he's in a garbage can most lunches. The kids are bullying him. And you're just going, but at church, you would have thought they were all just the most popular, fun-loving kids in the world. And we would go places and outsiders would see it. In the lobby of hotels it was noticed because they're eating with one another and, and even though they dress a lot different and look different, they're, they're serving shoulder to shoulder. They're doing dramas together at these national competitions and people are just like, your kids are so loving and fun and what was that? It was nothing more than Jesus getting into their heart and opening their hearts for other people. That's what all of us should be like, not just students. Yeah, they have a real easy pull from their community to practice this at schools, but we have workplaces, we have stores, we have restaurants. We have a community and a neighborhood to practice this same life of not showing favoritism. So let's live in the tension of being those who give out mercy so freely here, but then when we go from here. Our wacky neighbors, our messy neighbors should be our most favorite people in the neighborhood, right? There I am having favorites already. That's how easy it is. It's just like, we just need to love everyone. So feel that tension and be the people that can bring a change of not showing favoritism in our community. I'm gonna pray for you. And hopefully God can show us where we're showing favoritism in our life right now and begin to deal with us on that. So Lord, I thank you for your word. We believe that mercy triumphs over judgment. You promise that right here in this text. And I pray that God, we could be those that would walk out your grace, your mercy here at church, 
but in community, that nobody would sit alone, that nobody would be alone, that we would not just circle up with those that we're comfortable with, but Lord, we would be those that would not allow anybody to be an outcast. Lord, for students as they look to this next year at school, may talks like this just resonate with them into the year. And may these schools be places around us here in our community where there's no favoritism. May they be able to take that culture with them. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to take that into our workplaces, into our neighborhoods. God, I, I just thank you that you can allow us to live it out here, but then take it out with us. God, for those that have yet to put their faith in you. So a, a book like James that's written for believers, that's written to those who have put their trust in Jesus. I pray that those who are here that are still kicking the tires of faith would make a decision to invite you into their life and would simply pray, Jesus, come into my life. I want to follow you. I want to know you more. I want to be more like you and walk out your character. And Lord, may they see a transformation in their favoritism by jumping into a relationship with you. God, I thank you for what you're doing in each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. The worship team's gonna sing that song I talked about. And as they do, I want you to consider what's God challenging me to do? Jot a note on the back of your Connect card today. Let us know what's stirring. We wanna pray for you. We wanna pray for you during the course of this week. But we also wanna be able to follow up. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, check that box. We wanna follow up and see God come alive in your world. We thank you for being here. Jaden will come and close us when the worship team's done in a second. Well, thanks once again for engaging with today's talk. You know, if you're listening on the Open Life Church app or through the message archive, you can fill out a connect card. Let us know that you're listening and we would love to pray with you if you have any prayer requests. So make sure you fill that out there. Again, you, from the front page of our Open Life Church app, we have some additional resources, a daily devotional that we want you to be able to have in your hands. So click on that button, open daily, and be encouraged by other people at Open Life who are engaging with the book of James as well. Thanks again for being part of what Open Life is doing and thanks for taking time out of your day to listen or watch here at Open Life Church.